0: I had uh, this background thing that was gonna like fill all this crap up in the background.
1: <laughs> hey man, Hi. I' so, sorry for the delay, everybody. I know we're starting like fifteen minutes late. Uh, this is this is like the the boomer and you and I are mid thirties ness. We I don't even want to describe the trauma I just went through trying to start a freaking live stream on YouTube. It it was. Like, it made me really question my place in modern society. Uh, Tell me how to download shit. It was awful. This is awful. This is what we go through for all of you. I mean, this is how much we love and appreciate you. Is that I, I traumatize myself every like, every few months to be able to do this? And you know, I suppose there's two ways to go about it.
0: One is we continue to traumatize ourselves. The other is we do dry runs the day before. But <laughs>
1: hey, hey. Hey, hey! Stop
0: it! What's well, that, that? That's real Jerry
1: of me. I'm sorry. But is uh, mess mess hall number three? Yeah. Live stream. You know, I, my name is Joseph. I'm Peter. And hopefully, we actually had awful. We had like seven or eight people waiting for us to start in the version of this that I set up, and then that version didn't want. I don't. I don't know. I need to find like a 20-year-old and be like, please figure this out for me. Over here. But in the meantime, for those of them that join us later, that listen to this uh in the future in our uh our many uh uh, uh audio only listeners, uh we got all kinds of stuff that we always want to talk about don't feel like we have the time because you know we don't want to spend 85 hours on every episode of voyager so we got all that we have some ideas from our lovely facebook discussion group about what we could talk about and so we'll go through all that and as folks filter in we'll of course take any questions that people have and if we get to at least 20 concurrent live viewers i do have a special surprise that peter will hate And thus, we'll all enjoy his suffering together. But we'll see. We'll see if we get there. We all got, got, you know, hashtag squad goals.
0: Before we really start off here, I want to point out today is May 1st. Tomorrow is my birthday. Yes. Which means one year ago, as of tomorrow, (laughs) I subjected myself to the hell known as the 37s. Which was, uh, of course, our season two episode one uh, for Star Trek Four. It's just crazy to think it's been another year, and and we're only this far into this
1: goddamn show. Yeah, I mean, we, and we're trying to really pump it out too. What a week! What a week with little breaks. You know, like we're doing the live stream this week. We'll be dark next week, because you know we got our real lives we're dealing with, but we are we are at breakneck speed and we are barely halfway through the third season. Just think of it, Peter. We'll be doing this show if we do it every week with limited interruptions until twenty twenty-two. Twenty twenty-two. That's what you signed up for. Are you regretting your choices? My baby's gonna be like five. (laughs) It will be just old enough to understand that every week dad goes into his basement to talk (laughs) about a television show four times her age, five times her age.
0: Well, my uh, my hope is that she'll come to have her own appreciation of Star Trek. And if she's got to form that around Voyager, I suppose there's worse things. It's it's got its fair share of girl power, right?
1: Yeah, I guess you could say that if you want to talk about Sweaty bolana representing female empowerment. It's like, you know, it's like the the Avengers battle scene, female empowerment, you know. Not exactly a lot of depth there. All right, we'll avoid talking about that, by the way. I don't want anybody mad online over spoilers. My God in heaven, people will be, get beat up in real life over that right now. And you know what? That's God's work. Whoever's out
0: there beating the... <laughs> these spoilers (laughs) asses (laughs) what good on you sir good on you sir oh no you're one of those people are you real look man if you're gonna stand in front of a movie theater and start yelling what happens at the end okay all uh, right chinese Chinese, uh mob justice (laughs) certainly belongs in your future
1: all right I draw a distinct line between people who are jerks on purpose, like that, and like casual conversation you happen to overhear because people are talking about a movie that made like a billion dollars, so everyone fucking saw it. But
0: mm, look, man, I it's had a big uh, difference. I had episode which, which Star Wars are we even on right now? I had the first JJ <laughs> J. Abrams one. Get okay. spoiled for me like i avoided all the trailers and all the promotional materials everything i went in completely virgin and as i put my foot up on the curb of the movie theater to walk in all i hear is i can't believe he stabbed his dad like that and i flew into this fit of rage <laughs> that if i could have pulled the moon out of the sky and broke it over this guy's head and sent him to hell i would have done it so the spoiler threat is real to me it's something i take very serious and i wish the, the most wicked of death upon these people. Okay. You, on I the other got... hand, man, you've, uh, you know, we haven't had Voyager in our lives over the past week to, to preoccupy us, but man, it seems like you've really broken out the knee pads to get down on, on both and, and go to town on not only end game, but this last game of Thrones episode, you've been oh, very,
1: oof. yes,
0: very pro, very happy, very uncharacteristically approving Joe lately.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's kind of with my old age that i've just come to appreciate things in life i don't know uh but uh yeah end game was great uh i i'm not saying it's a perfect movie by any stretch some people i think going a little overboard with their praise uh but uh the idea that a movie like that could pay off successfully that much content like you know i've been watching Oh, these movies and theaters since Iron Man. Yeah. And I kind of wanted off the train. Like I was kind of wanting to be done watching good these. Good morning, Mike. Yes, good morning, Mike. Welcome. Thanks for joining us from Australia, man. I know that's a stretch for you, man. Uh good day, mate. Boomerangs. I don't know. What whatever you guys say. Um and uh it did that. And so I loved it. But the Game of Thrones episode, I do not understand anyone who's a hater for that, but I, I watched it under ideal conditions. Mm-hmm. It was dark room huge awesome 4k tv surround sound and it's just like the 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 peak way to watch it and it was fantastic i really enjoyed it what i've also uncharacteristically enjoyed has been i want to say most of our episodes of season three of voyager so far i mean i'm I'm a little hesitant to like do the 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 run through to see if that that thought is actually true to so like go one by one. But my impression is most of these have been pretty good. It's I mean, Julie, it's coming together. And I
0: just had a conversation with a coworker. He's like, Hey man, where you guys at in your, um in your viewing? And I said, well, uh, if you'd listen to the goddamn podcast, you know exactly where we're at, but <laughs> uh we're around season, season three, episode 18. And, you know, he starts kind of pooping on it and I had to catch myself because I started saying, look, man, it's, it's i don't see the bum rap 100% like i don't know it's the same thing you always said it, it, there's a reason i think why it's the least loved series but it's still
1: from what i've seen so far it's still good i it it's a uh, had a lot of dog shit moments in season 2 there's no way around it i we we went through that laundry list when we did the season 2 rip i think that the the increase in quality thus far has been from some new creative talent getting involved uh some perhaps maturity in in the actors' understanding of their own characters which allows them to kind of take the material and elevate it and um you know the I don't know the right, right way to put it they To the extent that it is capable of of them in this context of the show, and it's actually a topic I want to get into, to realize the promise of of Voyager, they're doing a little bit better job of it. That's not to say there aren't some poopers. The biggest change
0: we've seen, of course, from the production staff is the exiting of uh, Michael Piller and Jerry Taylor taking the throne. And we shit on Jerry Taylor well-deservedly often. But as we sit here and say that season three has been a marked improvement, was Michael Piller dragging dragging Voyager down to some of the the valleys that we did see in season one and season two?
1: Well, let's take a look at the episodes that we've watched so far that have been good. So I've got the list of season three episodes. I'm going to go through the ones that we conclusively said we both agreed were good. Okay. The shoot. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So maybe this wasn't as good as I thought. <laughs> maybe it's just that the highs were high enough that I'm forgetting. Because it was Basics Part 2. That was poop. Uh, flashback. That was poop rolled in dung with shit on it. Then the shoot, which was amazing. The swarm was fine. False prophets, holy shit. Awful. Aside from the, the fucking hoe train. The greatest <laughs> Ho Train in the Delta Quadrant. Terrible. Mm-hmm. Remember which was the Balana sexy dreams episode? That was fine. One of many so far. Yeah, one of many. Balana being some sort of being in heat. Uh Sacred Ground, which was I thought was fine and you thought was bad. Because it was bad. Because probably was, objectively. Uh, Future's End Part 1 and 2, which were enjoyable from our perspective, but not qualitatively good. I would say number 1 was qualitatively good
0: and number 2 was number 2. Warlord, which was
1: great. Fantastic. Warlord
0: might be one of my favorites.
1: Uh, The Q and the Grey, all-time terrible. Yeah. Microcosm, fine. Was fine. Yeah. Uh, Fair Trade, which was great. Uh, Alter ego, which was I think better than we expected it to be. Yeah. Coda, god awful. Blood fever, interesting. Then kind of fell on its ass. Terr terrifying, um... <laughs> terrifying Vulcan Headcanon. cannon. And then unity, which was good. Yeah. So out of out of the seventeen episodes that we've seen of this season so far, that is. One, two, three, four unqualified good episodes.
0: So what you're telling me is <laughs> you have uh, availability bias. Endgame and, and Game of Thrones are too fresh in your head and you're just riding high and yeah, you rose-colored glasses looking at the history of Voyager and they're they're, they're getting a contact
1: buzz off all the other good. I, I think it's because those four episodes that were good were really good tv even by 2019 standards and so i guess they they overwhelm some of the mediocrity slash terribleness in my my memory which i guess is i don't know is that a good thing i don't know Or, uh, or is it the show's trauma has just become so normalized to us that we watch you know the 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 false prophets of the world and it just doesn't affect us the same way as the garbage from season one season two did when it was like a fresh trauma that fifth or sixth ball punch in a row doesn't hurt as much as the first one it's starting to numb out a little bit maybe it is I want to get into some nerdy stuff here we've we've
0: been jabber John a little bit Um, going back into futures End, and especially with season two And I can't talk about some other stuff because spoilers, but time travel has really, and and it's something we talk about because Voyager is rife with these time travel or temporal paradox episodes, uh, has come back into vogue in modern science fiction in a big way. And in fact, Orville, are you current on your Orville yet?
1: I am not current on Orville. I got current on Discovery this discussion because i figured we'd probably get into it i did not catch up on Orwell. no i didn't catch up on the show i'd actually like (laughs)
0: yeah season two wrapped up i need to catch the last um the season finale for two but they have a really good uh time travel ish time travel adjacent story they tell uh all of the bruce willis looper stuff that you love where the lead character just completely shuts down any conversation about temporal mechanics and just right. says, I'd rather shoot myself in the head than have a conversation with you about temporal mechanics. That's all in play. And I think it's uh it's fun to watch him tackle it. But Voyager is a different creature. Voyager revels in these details that it it, you know, the rules it sets up and knocks down and ruins In Future's End. The whole episode basically rotates around stolen technology from what, right. the 31st century or whatever, 29th. Yes, the dangers, the, the threats it poses, this that, uh, the extraordinary lengths they go to destroy <laughs> the the masquerade, basically of keeping <laughs> the ship a secret as Harry Kim flies it, you know, over L.A. or whatever.
1: Ooh, look at my 24th century spaceship.
0: Yeah. Um, But something we kind of glossed over at the end of that episode was their retention of the holographic, uh, the portable hollow emitter that the doctor then uses to walk around the ship. Yep. Obviously the writers wanted to give Robert Picardo free reign, not only of the ship as a whole, but, you know, give him some away team action uh, down planet side. But you've got this huge hypocritical moment in Voyager where and I think it's the only time I can really recall you've got a hero Federation crew taking this future tech and just being like, fuck it, this is ours now. Uh, consequences be damned. Like, yeah, it's cool. It fills this this necessity to get Robert Picardo out and roaming around, but that is some hyper tech. And that has huge consequences. Stop and think about it for a second. That whole episode where he's falling apart, and I can't remember the title off the top of my head. It's the one where they bring... Um, the Swarm. Yeah, Sworn, right? Uh, they had yep. to eat the diagnostic program's
1: pattern. Yeah, pattern. like they had to
0: cannibalize it to like graft it onto Yeah, they had the steal doctor. his ram or whatever and, and, and upgrade his hardware. Steal drivers. his holographic soul. But, you know, he filled up uh, all of the pattern that was made available in the ship's computer to him in right around two years. And now you've got this thing that God only knows what its its storage capacity is. I don't think he's going to have to worry about hitting any constraints in his program for a long time. But there's probably more storage built into his little hollow chip thing than there is in the entire Voyager, you know, central data processor. What happens yeah, be- when they get back to Earth? What what happens to that technology? How do they? How does Janeway explain to everybody? Like, hey, you know that whole ironclad rule about stealing shit from the future and using it in the present well here's this guy that exists solely in that and and not only the the implication of how does the federation handle that but what happened you know where's her responsibility if the kazon did get it or whatever you've got this crazy powerful stuff just sitting on voyager right for the picking
1: peter do you have the, uh, there's a there's a few people who are going to hear what you just said or are watching you now that are aware of the trajectory that Voyager takes on this very topic into the future. And what you have done is you have set up a a delightful circumstance where when, when this very topic will become germane again, you will have all the opportunity in the world to go nuclear. And I'm looking forward to that now. I don't want to spoil it for you. I don't want to say another word about what's going to happen that goes directly into the very thought that you just said, because it's going to, it's going to be a special moment. Is it? uh, First
0: of all, my mind's fucking blown that would dawn on these guys in in this tightly bottled consequence free TV show, as it's been presented to us so far, where, you know, the writers want something to happen. They make it happen. Eyes forward. Don't look behind you. Don't look to the side. Just tunnel vision. La, 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 la. We got what we want. March ahead. It blows my mind that this is something that they're going to circle
1: back around to. I I understand. No, no, I I should say this differently. You think that this is bad? Oh. Just wait until some things happen. It's going to take a while for this to pay off. But I want you to remember this conversation. And when it happens... Peter, I'm gonna be right there next to you. So it's I'm gonna, gonna be- I'm gonna give you that look. I'm gonna do this, <laughs> and you're gonna know. <laughs> that was the uh, that's the trans warp look. <laughs> Let's not make any lizard babies. Our wives would that's, be very. That's the. Are you
0: seeing them. this shit? This is really happening. So uh, this isn't yeah. going to deal specifically with his uh, with his hollow emitter? and There is Jane actually
1: wood. an episode that deals with the, te- the consequences of a few pieces of future tech, be- like being on Voyager where something fucked up could happen to it, mm-hmm. that does get done. So that does occur. Uh, there's just something else, even just wi- so much more wild than this, that happens. And, you know, you just, it has to be seen to be believed. Well, I look forward to that, but you know, his
0: hollow emitter specifically again. It's it's a big jump. And yeah. you know, what happens when they get back to when they get back to to Earth.
1: I mean, think about it from our perspective as, you know, normal earthlings. What what would be the consequences? It's a 500-year advanced piece of technology, right? 500. 500. So 500 years ago. So it would have been 1418, uh, I'm sorry, 1518. Fifteen nineteen. Uh, so we're talking about dawn of the Renaissance kind mm-hmm. of era in Europe. You know, yeah. like talk about talk about a just a tremendous technological jump. If you brought I want it. you to take the capacity
0: of the average person's cell phone back then <laughs> <laughs> and compare yeah. it to the hundred and twenty eight gigs in my phone, and just think about how crazy it would be for them to wrap their head around whatever 0.1g they have to my 4g lte it's just it's a quantum leap
1: i uh th- your your point about time travel i mean is about in science fiction overall we're just talking about avengers i won't say anything more but to say obviously time travel is part of that stop. <laughs> i'm just gonna say that i mean whatever <laughs> Not, I didn't say anything else. I'm just saying. I'm gonna tell you, gonna tell you what, Joe. Before you have
0: of- any more impulse to talk any more about <laughs> anything along those lines, just feel free to to belt out some more of your your damn
1: slash fic. I would rather hear that than you. <laughs> well, it, my my point is, you're right. Like time travel is is a huge part of popular science fiction consumption, and. To segue into something that we were asked to talk about is Discovery, season two. Obviously, time travel is a big part of that whole season, and I I watched, I got caught up on the show. Uh, to, I I'm a student of the things I hate, Peter. You know that about me. Sure, and I hate this show, and this was a delight to watch. Not because it was qualitatively good or even like qualitatively super bad in a way that was enjoyable. It was that I saw the show essentially at war with itself in a way that was amazing. Here's my thesis Anson Mount playing Captain Pike was like Star Trek invading Discovery for a second. Okay? Hmm. Like, Captain Pike was a Star Trek character on a show that wasn't Star Trek. And there was this obvious mismatch. And by the end of it, the show was literally making an excuse for itself to no longer have to be Star Trek by doing a daffy ass time travel plot, where now discovery is going to be so far into the future. It can be whatever it wants to be. They no longer have to be Star Trek anymore. And the normal Star Trek universe can now go on unmolested from What these guys actually want to try and do that is an amazing
0: observation uh on the other side of the coin i loved season one season two was not my cup of tea at the least i loved all the captain pike stuff i thought there was some really really great things that was adjacent to his story yeah um and there was a a whole lot of stuff in discovery that I just was not feeling at all. And like you said, it's interesting now that I don't know if it's pressure on the studio from the fans or what, or their writer room deciding that, Hey, we want to go in a direction that just gets too wild. And we want to partition, you know, this story off and and tell its own thing. Yeah. It's, it's completely written itself out of any, any sort of consequence to the, the greater Trek picture.
1: Yeah. And, And it's, the show felt like it was straining under the weight of having to be a Star Trek show for both seasons. I, it it didn't want to have to conform to the standards of that universe, particularly in like the part of the universe it decided to set itself in. And that got more and more obvious as it went on. And, well, what a way to fix the problem. Let's just not put ourselves in that anymore. But I... I could go on for days about how stupid the plot of the second season was. I mean, like, really? Starfleet admirals are so terrible at their jobs, they literally, like, feed punch cards into an evil computer to tell them what the fuck to do. That's going to be our plot. Oh, and all, oh, and the, and the computer's evil and try to kill us all. Uh, and Section 31 is, like, everywhere. everywhere. Everywhere, and everyone knows about it, and it's just fine. You know, it's just, it's it's the least covert operation ever, and on and on and on. It just... It didn't seem it was it was straining as for a way to to get out from under its own premise, and just even even from just a visual perspective, it felt like Pike and the Enterprise were an invasion of Star Trek into the show that was somehow unwelcome.
0: Yeah, season one worked for me because I think for a long time it was easy to just say this is this is an alternate reality this is not a prime universe and this is just a cool what if where that klingon war could really be that wild where you've got star bases and you know these death tolls in the millions and millions make sense but you know they did firmly cement that no this is all prime universe and we're gonna be playing by these rules and i think they immediately dawned on like eh, maybe that was a bad idea nailing ourselves down on this so that was an interesting
1: way to to dance away from it i i we go back to the idea that Voyager had like an out established to potentially do something similar, which is like dramatically change the premise of the show. If it wasn't working to like bail themselves out of being in the Delta Quadrant, do something else and discovery didn't have that built in. So they built it for themselves over the course of a season so that they could then do it. What you're talking about is of course the other caretaker. Yes. Which we saw exactly once. Yeah. Why do you think it is that they never,
0: you know, as Jerry Taylor took the throne, Michael Pillar backed off Michael Pillar's influence on the show as far as uh, the Delta Quadrant unique species of the Vidians and the Kazon, um and, and the Skevians, that kind of stuff, as that all went into the back? And from what it seems to me, right now, they began to embrace the the next genness of Star Trek. Q board the other stuff why do you think they didn't just say fuck it let's pull them back into the alpha quadrant did they not was ds9 just too dark and they didn't want to put something depressing in that time stop is voyager just supposed to be a an escape from the dark hole that ron moore took you know put star trek
1: into i think there's multiple answers to that question one uh, the Voyager premise is extre- extraordinarily easy to write bottle episodes for, right? Fair. We've gone to back. To, we said we've talked about this a bit from the beginning. This was a uh, an anchor show for a new network. They wanted it to remain as accessible as possible, and keeping the show extremely episodic and shipping the bottle contained allowed you as a viewer to understand the basics of the premise and then jump into whatever episode that you were watching and not be lost. Whereas DS nine was extremely serialized. And so keeping the show in the Delta quadrant gave you this automatic writers out of, Oh, Hey, well, let's just do this alien thing. And then they move on and you don't have to explain it ever again. And so I think that's probably the number one reason why they stayed there with the premise. And then I think the lesser reason is, uh, if they put them back in the Alpha Quadrant, then they got to like incorporate themselves with the timeline of what's going on in the Alpha Quadrant. That shit was getting really, really complicated. So you know what? Let's not even do that. Let's just stay out of all that. We can write whatever show we want to write. We don't have to worry about what's going on back there, except when we choose to interact with yeah. it. Which we want Romulans
0: We'll put Romulans in there.
1: Right, exactly. Okay. So, so I think that explains adequately, despite the fact that they left to themselves these that they chose not to take them. Uh, I think that our problem has been consistently that the show seems like it shows these little signs of brilliance like fair trade of what it could look like if they just went all in on the concept rather than kind of doing so in a very timid way. And it feels like they don't go all in on it simply because they want to keep it as lighter and more approachable, which I suppose you could say it is, but it doesn't make it good.
0: Fair trade. Uh, The the glimmer of potential you're referring to there is, of course, what happens when you do see these traditional Alpha Quadrant entities dwelling in the Delta Quadrant, either prospering or under duress. Um, Ties into the same thing as like the 37s uh, and Unity. You know, all all of these have the same theme, and that's what happens when people who didn't want to be in the Delta Quadrant end up in the Delta Quadrant and Voyager sees these outposts and i spoke at length in the unity you know don't drink the cubade episode about the promise of people stranded people who didn't have the fair shake voyager did or whatever A, a, a mere two voyager where their what if is now we're stuck and fucked up um i think i would have enjoyed a lot more of those types of scenarios and if they wanted to tie back to the alpha quadrant that's the cool way to do it in a more plausible not you know New Jersey aliens kidnapped us and, and turned us into gimps.
1: <laughs> oh, I'll never get old. Uh, so we had a couple different questions that were posed to us to talk about this evening. So I wanted to run through those
0: real quick. And thanks for that, by the way. Uh, these are yeah. these are some pretty thoughtful questions, and it's nice to see that kind of in. Who who sent these in?
1: Darius. Darius sent them in. Our uh, I believe our Eastern European meme king. Fan. Yes, the meme king, the comics king of Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was your Uh, most and least favorite moment of the show so far? So not just season three, but going through all the episodes that we have watched, what is your most favorite moment of the show?
0: Uh, I'm going to say my favorite moment was when the uh when they do the flyby Chakotay's captured and they can't beam Chakotay back to the ship because of a dampening field that Seska put on him and instead Janeway just beams all of the Kazon leadership into the ship it came so far out of left field and it was such a defining badass moment that we had not seen anything I don't think close to yet uh, and it really was a great opportunity for the show to take Janeway, who we have given a lot of flack to for her poor choices and her, a lot of weaknesses that she's shown and just show that she can think way outside the box to some very drastic results. And it was just a, it's always nice when you see the, a Star Trek captain really nail something hard and, uh, to her specifically, I think she really needed that example, and, and it stuck with me the, as, a, as a strong potential.
1: I think my favorite moment of the show, it's hard to, I, I know that there's an inconsistency in this, but this moment still stands out in my memory, and that's from back in season one, the phage, the first time we meet the Vidians. Yeah. And, her, and Janeway having to confront what the Vidians are, what they have been responsible for, and what her options are as she is isolated in the Delta Quadrant. And it's like the first time she has to work through, oh, I'm by myself. I don't have a star base to send you to. Um, and I really can't imprison you. And my options are to let you go or to f- kill you. That's it. That's all I can do. And the speech that she gives is really, you just said, the potential of Janeway. It conveys the potential of her as a character, I think, very effectively. And it's unfortunate that she's not consistently written in this way. And that we have to suffer through a lot of bad Janeway decisions to make the plot work. Uh, but that is a moment where, you know, it it's not only a great performance of the part of the actress, but also hints at, like, here's the problem this ship is faced with. For all its technological might, there's a moral issue that they're going to face as they go through the Delta Quadrant by being by themselves. That they can't deal with antagonists the way they might choose to under any other circumstance, and that's going to leave them with some pretty terrible options to consider. I think it was also an interesting um,
0: presentation of Starfleet as a As an observer, because in all the other Star Treks, the Federation and Starfleet is a local authority and they are bound to act in certain ways to become a proactive policing force and insert themselves and all this other stuff. Whereas Voyager, and sure, a lot of times Janeway sticks her neck out against all common sense or reason. But then there's other stuff that she and the rest of Starfleet just have to take a step back and say, we it's not our place to to insert ourselves in this and we strongly disagree with what we're seeing but our hands are tied not just because of prime directive but just trying to get home yeah this is this is there's nothing we can do to impact this and uh and that's
1: that i mean another great example that's fair trade an episode we watched recently obviously but uh it captured voyager's relative inability to kind of do anything Mm -hmm. and they're just kind of one ship and they can't fix you know a bunch of intergalactic drug smuggling at some outpost in the middle of nowhere and quite frankly they don't really want to they don't it's not a good use of their time
0: fair trade might be one of my favorite episodes overall this season i think it has done and we we said it before but i think it has done the most world building in the least amount of time and just establishing what the delta quadrant is i think fair trade is the episode that should have happened that should have been in season one, absolutely. I think that's what it was written either season one or season
1: two. Um, season where, one, it was supposed to be in there instead of Jutrell,
0: which was another strong contender, um, and <laughs> simultaneously the weakest shit I think still in my book. Uh, <laughs> but that that is the box text that the DM should have read when he started running this Voyager campaign. Like that is how you yeah. really set the stage. It's not the fucking Ocampa or. I don't even want to look in my notes and see what other garbage was (laughs) the candy corn tragedy.
1: Yep. Uh, I, I I will say that I think as much as I did like fair trade, the shoot, Mike and I brought it up in the chat here. Like mm -hmm. that is such a great episode from a character building perspective. It's a great episode from a space madness perspective. There's a lot of boxes that the shoot checks. And I think the best compliment you could give it is that it, it, gives one of the weaker actors on the show in the form of garrett wang Mm -hmm. an opportunity to be awesome and he takes it and he does a great job with it yeah and and uh it gives you character building and background you know and this this is to segue a little bit into a future topic but about what differentiates what i think differentiates this show from tng where i think uh the plots uh, don't necessarily... The writing and the, and the plotting of Voyager versus TNG I don't think is all that different. But I'll get into that in a second. Um, what's your least favorite moment on the show?
0: We just did the, the polls on the...
1: Uh, <laughs> Worst. <yeah>. Trauma. <laughs> Gosh. I... <laughs>
0: how, how to pick one? How, how to pick the stinkiest flower? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Where, where are you going to clock yours in?
1: Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of contenders. Mm-hmm. There's goofy, bad, like Janeway's like getting affected in the, sh- in the twisted or whatever by the space, you know, aneurysm or something. And she's just like, bah, 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 bah. and it's just like, really? Or the weakest shit from Jutrell where they're like, well, we really can't save all these people after trying for five minutes. Deuce is infuriating. Uh, I think that uh, the worst moment on the show is how they finished False Prophets. I don't think anything's going to ever top the last fifth like 5 to 6 minutes of False Prophets. The idea that they bring two Jabroni nobody Ferengi onto the ship, they overpower an armed Federation uh, security guard, outwit Two Vox security protocols steal their shuttle and fuck up a direct path homeward on a wormhole. Like, nothing will ever, like, just be the most absurd writing for the show than that. It will always be the worst to me. I think my least favorite, and let's, let's say, as he
0: put it in the question, least favorite, not the worst moment of the show um is, it, is there's a there's a couple of contenders the first is uh the moment of personal horror that i experienced when i realized that janeway's bodice ripper hollow novel had suddenly <laughs> somehow become interesting and something that i cared about I'm, like, <laughs> I'm watching at home and i'm like wait what the fuck just happened i do i care about this little about mommy in the attic what
1: and then that there's no resolution to I it. I know! Come on!
0: <laughs> Who cares about what happened to Kess and Neelix? I want to know what's going on with Mom! she a ghost? she crazy? Um, I would say my least favorite moment of the show was the resolution of Basics Part 2 where we kill Seska and we make sure that you know we've killed seska and that seska will never be back and Lon suitor is gone too and the best character development that we had seen in the show uh, somehow ended up coming from these minor characters that were only in a handful of episodes but i think they could have really reached deep into the the tapestry of what you know voyager had to come and it was almost just a spike killing like Jerry Taylor, I, I I don't like these characters and we're getting rid of them and they're never coming back
1: and fuck you, you likened it at the time of a new DM taking over a campaign and killing off all the NPCs that were mean to him. Yep. Uh I agree that was awful. I, I don't think it's my worst moment, my least favorite moment, because they both got well, Lon Suter got really cool death. Yeah. And a really cool episode. Like he was awesome in it. And you know, I seska is not done yet and you know so i don't feel like that's worst we've got somebody in chat who, who brought up something i think is interesting and that is tuvix now uh, tuvix's death has been one of the biggest moments that's bothered me from the first time i saw it i i don't consider that the best or the worst moment of the show i definitely consider it one of the most interesting that we've talked about um and what was intended Versus how it felt. I would have liked to be able to sit
0: down and watch two without all of the internet hype and the... Right, like everyone telling you what it's like, yeah. And the epic controversy. Like, just to, to have it pop up in the thing and see if I would have jumped to some of the thought conclusions that I did and that as would have been as critical. Um, but going into that episode and putting it under a microscope as you and I have... Uh, You know, I'm sitting there with, this This is the (laughs) the past two years of my life. Year and a half. Only a year and a half so far. Let me show you my favorite page since I got this thing open. I was going back through. Um, Normally, it's a game of keep away from my daughter because she wants to get in there with my pen and start tearing stuff out. And I'm like, no, this is daddy's nerd homework, sweetie. We can't do this. (laughs) I can't find the page. I don't know. One of them, she got her crayons in there and just went fucking ape shit all over the place. <laughs> it was a crap episode. And I said, you know what? you can't that That's a
1: bad page. Good job.
0: Good oh no, job. it was
1: yeah, it was. There we yeah. go. I'll what are like you talking about? <laughs> we're talking about Tuvix. Tuvix. Uh you know,
0: Tuvix um the, the trans warp episode or threshold. They're crazy episodes crazy shit goes and you're just sitting there scratching your head and i think that as part of just a normal tv show if i was just binge watching they'd be like funky little blips but when we're going balls deep on the stuff they are infinite wells of conversations and what if and and Trek theory so um certainly it's a jarring experience but i personally really enjoy those episodes because of the opportunities that i had to talk about with you and interact with our fans and, and really live in this this place in trek this trek infamy
1: it, it they're notorious and there's certainly something to talk about but and we've discussed a couple times already threshold is nowhere near no i love th- i, I fucking love
0: threshold and i was on board 100 until the last four
1: minutes yeah last four minutes are mind-bending dick-punchingly ridiculous but <laughs> uh the the episode itself great makeup interesting idea kind of a a weird kind of path as far as the performance from it
0: was a twilight zone episode and i love twilight
1: but, zone, so have you I, watched
0: I, the new twilight zone at
1: all yet yes i watched the pilot because it was on youtube for free it was definitely like a classic twilight zone episode i really dug it i'm gonna watch definitely watch the rest of them it's on my to-do list for sure i i you know i've got a backlog of tv like anybody he <laughs> <laughs> stays to watch i gotta get through orville still uh, you know, a show I've wanted to watch, and then like season four of Lucifer. I, I okay. I know I'm gonna like lose the respect of all ten of the other people watching this right now, but uh, I love Lucifer. <laughs> it's I know it is not the comic, and that everybody that loves that Neil Gaiman comic or loves Sandman or whatever is like screaming at whatever device they're listening to me right now on. But uh, the television show is fun in its own right. And I have watched every episode. I like it. And the fact that Netflix picked up for fourth season is awesome. Hashtag save Lucifer. There. I did it. You're lucky that you have this luxury in your life where you can just watch whatever TV you want. My daughter at goes gym, to bed. Around. And, like, I, get a, I get at least an hour and a half every day going to the gym to watch whatever I want. I, I dig deep on the Netflix. My daughter goes to bed usually around 9 p.m., which is
0: pretty late for a little kid. And that means... We can't start watching our TV. So I fit the Orville in. I fit in uh, Game of Thrones, my Voyager once a week, and then the rest of it's just the Wiggles, Teletubbies, and <laughs> fucking blippy Who, if these words mean nothing to you, I want you to go ahead and just give yourself a big hug and a pat on the back because you're living an awesome life.
1: Ah, <laughs> uh, you're doing Yeoman's work. You know, keeping the species going. uh Peter, good, good job, good job. Mm-hmm. I I wanted to address something I said about uh, uh, TNG versus Voyager. I know this will be one of those like hashtag unpopular opinion moments, but I really don't think from a writing standpoint, the ideas behind the episodes of TNG are all that much better or different than the ideas behind episodes of Voyager. When you think about it, a lot of episodes of TNG are ship of the bottle. The enterprise encounters X calamity, why alien species or Z problem and must fix it by themselves. It's I think the acting that separates the shows primarily that TNG had such a a huge resource in Patrick Stewart. And I mean, an unfair resource in Patrick Stewart to make everything seem much better than it is. And then that consequently raised the performance level of everyone else um, it, it, can do you think that there's a, a, a big qualitative difference
0: between TNG i'm going to give this one to you purpose? and and sitting here and thinking about what you just said tng as i've gone back and re-watched episodes is notoriously guilty when it comes to not communicating with starfleet as a whole you take certain episodes like uh Descent one and two, which we've been talking about, which is where Lord comes back in charge of the Borg. And uh Admiral and Achev's like, hey, you know, here's this whole task force to track down the Borg, and uh, you know, we're gonna get them. And then data runs off and they find where the Borg planet is. And instead of Picard being like, Hey, Starfleet, bring in the boys, let's have a big episode. They're like, Fuck it, we're gonna beam all our guys down to the surface and try and fix this ourselves. It's like why are you not cooperating with Starfleet as a whole? And I think it's a budget thing. You know, you start bringing in more starships. That's more special effects and blah, 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 blah. Um, but yeah, it's it's the Enterprise rolling solo. And yeah, they're in the Alpha Quadrant. and They could involve themselves with the bigger Starfleet picture, but they don't. Um, Patrick Stewart's gravity is certainly a big part of it. I I think the most endearing thing to the original series was the chemistry that existed between the characters, between McCoy, Kirk, uh, and Spock. I don't think it's something they ever really replicated in next-gen, but even though they didn't have that brotherhood, I think there was more of a feeling of,
1: of family, I completely agree. I was gonna use the exact same words. Like there was a clear brotherhood between those three characters in the original series, but TNG focused on the ensemble. Yes. With with Picard more as the father figure and and the rest of the crew, the rest of his subordinates as, you know, dutiful subordinates, but also as kind of their his surrogate children. And that, you know, played obviously all the way into the end where the very last scene of the series where uh, Picard made peace with that very role that he, that his crew meant more to him than as a crew. And I think it's it's all, that is the difference between TNG and Voyager is the characterizations that were possible as a consequence of having better actors in the role that, and the freedom of those actors were able to seize in concert with the writers to realize those goals the plots themselves, the writing of the episodes themselves, the conundrums that the, the ship and the crew find themselves in are strikingly familiar. I mean, if you, if you a, actually break it down. Look at the roles. You know, you've
0: got the the stoic boss. You've got the first officer who used to be a young, hot shot, hothead and slowly becomes a company, you know, uh, uh, an authoritarian. You've got the hot blooded Klingon. You've got the A.I., uh, you, you really do have a lot of doubling up. Was Voyager, you know, was there an agenda in Voyager to try to recreate
1: next gen? I think that the, to rec- recreate the magic, to try and recreate some of those dynamics, I think you, they'd have been fools not to. That's what they wanted. I mean, we, we said before when Voyager was created and was birthed into the universe, Star Trek was at a moment of cultural significance that it has not replicated probably since in terms of the overall public consciousness. And part of the reason is TNG's incredible success as a syndicated television show going as far as getting nominated for an Emmy, the only syndicated television show ever to be nominated uh, for a primetime Emmy like that. Yeah. And, you know, they obviously are like, well, shit, let's do that again. Let's, let's get some of that energy going for the UPN. We'll, we'll fucking knock it out of the park.
0: A fair point to Jesse who did uh, call to attention that uh, Patrick Stewart and uh, Picard had way more consistent writing, which continually victimizes
1: uh, Mulgrew's... um, Her game attempts to play that character are often interfered with the fact that her character must be situationally stupid in order to maintain the premise of the show. And I think we... I, it's why Janeway's never my worst, least favorite character because I realize some of the, the bullshit that her character is basically forced to do is not, not her fault. I guess it's weird to say, like, if this wouldn't happen or shouldn't happen under any other circumstances. It's those damn space yips. It's the, sta- it's the space yips, man. She, they space
0: get- yips are, of course, uh, the, the Delta Quadrant crazies that one can come down with. Uh, and also, um, Uh, war crimes in the writer's room where they unfairly pick on
1: and, and make people
0: do silly things.
1: Speaking of war crimes in the writer's room, here's another question from Darius. Since Peter hasn't seen the show yet, but he's heard about how Voyager ruins the Borg, I'd love to hear some of his theories slash predictions on where the Borg story goes, which I think is, I think that's an excellent question. Let's Use your relative ignorance as to what happens with the Borg for you to to make some guess because you've already had some some hits on just the mobile emitter, yeah. Future tech that
0: I can't wait. Well, we know seven and nine is going to get involved, Um, and I'm guessing that's going to be some sort of a a locutus you know it's easier to work with uh one drone instead of a you know a view screen and then there's going to be a fallout and she'll join the the crew there so I, you can see that telegraph pretty well i assume she's going to bring a slew of you know borg innovations around the ship uh which will probably play out in all sorts of you know deus ex machina <laughs> saved by seven and nines Borg tech at the last minute this is, Resolutions.
1: this is just stunning work on your part. Continue. Um,
0: I know there's Species 8427 or whatever, the, the bug thing, which is it unites them. Uh, I think that the Borg's just going to start making stupid diplomatic decisions where Janeway's able to outwit them, similar to how she outwitted the clown at the end of the thaw. And it's just <laughs> going to clown... You know, I was thinking in the car ride, I was putting a lot of thought into the Borg and why data was a big deal. How was data able to thwart the Borg on several attempts when you've got the vast collective versus just data? And at the end of the day, I think the Borg is just a union of organic minds. And yeah, they're all connected on space Wi-Fi and there is a mechanical component to them. But I think it's, it's shared collective thought and mechanical augmentation it's not a true ai and that's what data is and that's why he's able to to run this game because it's still this thing that's smarter than what every other person would have to be but still that union shouldn't be stupid what what is the union it's it has to be a mass consensus right and you could have a lot of voices in that union saying Hey, and the collective saying, hey, this is the right way to handle this thing. We should go with a diplomatic easy approach. And then a lot of just base, like, take the thing we want. Use force. And at any point, the decision of the collective is probably some sort of a consensus similar to what we saw out of the Gethin uh, mass effect, right? Right. Still, the numbers are going to work out to their favor. And I think their, their decisions, they shouldn't just make dumb clown decisions. And I think we're going to see a lot of dumb clown decisions. Uh, I expect to see some sort of groveling at some point to Janeway in a in a forced empowerment moment. Ooh. Uh, and I think you know, they're going to take things that should be stunning to see, like a Borg cube hanging dead in space, and they're just gonna be like, "What if we had 400 Borg cubes heading dead in space? Wouldn't that add so much Ugh. so much drama? Like, you know, we play these when you play like RPGs." If you're the storyteller or the DM you could be like I need to really drive home that this is a monstrous thing. There's a dead baby on the church floor. And you're like, "Oh my god, there's a dead baby. What am I going to There's we got to we got to up this. There are 40 dead babies on the church floor. There are 400 There's 400 children that have been turned into vampires and you have to destroy Well, look, one dead person's a big deal. 400 dead people that's like eh. a, a war scene whatever um and i think that's a that's a mistake a lot of writers make is instead of realizing that one thing is very potent they're like let's put a lot of that in, and it's really going to drive the point home so I, I think we'll
1: see a lot of busted up board cubes you know it's it's this is brilliant this is brilliant you really where were you 27 years
0: ago could have rightfully keeping my head in the sand and giving up on star trek until
1: <laughs> my mid-30s I was going to say child you could have been a much better writer for the show or at least yeah. as good as the show actually was yeah i can't wait for you to see how your predictions do and don't work out
0: i, can't I wait. expect uh balana's gonna have a klingon ridge moment and, and beat a couple drones up too i i
1: That's a fair prediction. Yeah, That's
0: a fair prediction. Maybe she'll throw some tin cups at him. You know, right at the ankle. It's
1: their weak spot. Yeah. Short him out. That's where their off switch is. So has Chakotay actually become a better character or do we have Stockholm Syndrome? And if he is a better character, what's changed about him? He's absolutely become a better character.
0: Uh, Like you pointed out, they've really toned back all of his... um... Backstory stuff, yeah. They've... (sighs) is it his backstory or specifically the focus the the shoehorning of his ill-guided religion
1: i think it's a few things they made him more a standard Starfleet, dude. yeah they've they've kind of ditched the terrorist angle sadly uh, i think i think for the best though i mean I think the problem was the show didn't know what to do with it, and so it turned Chicote into kind of this crappy character who was supposed to be this badass terrorist but immediately became a Boy Scout and then struggled with, like, dealing with these, you know, Maquis. They're going to be part of the crew. And while being just, a shaman. Well, Yeah, while also being a shaman. And it, it gave his character a lack of focus. The only thing that, like, focused him in and made him interesting was Seska. And it was for reasons entirely separate of all of that. And what they seem to have done is as all the, the Maquis stuff is over uh, is just focus him in on being a good number two and getting rid of the backstory Indian stuff and not really doing much with it anymore or making it a focus of an episode. And it I, makes it more likable because you're getting rid of all the stuff that was super weird about him.
0: They've been focusing on his life after leaving his father and joining Starfleet. And it's a Starfleet experiences, maybe just because I like Starfleet military stuff, but like him talking about their pilot training courses and, you know, maneuvers they ran through the rings of Saturn or whatever. Uh, Those kind of glimpses into his past. I like, so I don't think they've really abandoned his, his backstory so much as changed where the focus is there. We've seen more rational decision out of him. Um, Beltran's played him with more familiarity and, and assertiveness, and I think it's all stuff that's worked. And they've toned down his maladying. I mean, it's still yeah. there. We still saw it in
1: Hell oh, Hellhole, but we also saw it in uh, Futures. Uh, Futures End. It straight up hits on Jane while they're in L.A. And she just yeah. kind of he couldn't help moves right past her it. shoulder pads. I know they were mighty. That was a hell of a pantsuit she was wearing. Yeah, the, the replicator found exactly the right thing to put to, to put her in. Mm-hmm. But uh yeah, I think Chicote became a better character by dint of losing all of his bullshit backstory and just being, you know, good Starfleet guy with a lot of, you know, different applicable skills. And uh I I think I mentioned before, like in canon he's supposed to have been Ro Laren's instructor when she went to like super secret, you know, commando school there at the end of TNG. And uh, he was the person that left that sort of inspired her to eventually betray the Federation. i don't to touch on this stuff, man.
0: Did they abandon all that because Ro Laren didn't actually? Because Ro Laren was supposed to be Tom Paris, right?
1: No. So Ro Laren was supposed to be Major Kira mm. originally. That They were going to make Ro Laren that character. And. They chose instead, obviously, not to do that and continue to use Rolaren on TNG instead and then wrote her off the way they, they, they did. Um, it was... Nick Locarno was supposed to be Tom Paris and then, you know... They yeah, like, and to And it still is. It is Nick Locarno. In fact, you're going to see in a future episode that they used a picture of uh, Robert Duncan McNeil playing Nick Locarno to be young Tom Paris in the Academy. So It's
0: amazing how... <laughs> What was that episode of TNG where Locarno and, and the. Do you remember what that title was? The first duty. The first duty. <laughs>
1: the first, duty, the first duty, duty of every Starfleet officer to the truth. Blah, blah, blah.
0: It's crazy how deep that episode and lower decks. Like there was this thread of secondary characters throughout all the Star Trek properties post TNG and it's amazing the way they connect these and that they don't focus more on them because what we started with in first duty episode not only did we get Nick Carno but there was a, a Bajoran girl who was in that and yeah. she ended up in a later episode of uh next gen which was lower decks yep where they send her off on a Romulan or I'm sorry a Cardassian covert mission and she dies but that's also where we got the origin of uh uh, Borks or Torix or whatever his name is. Oh, Boric, yeah. Boric. So there's all these cool, like, you know, lieutenants and ensigns and, and lower deck characters all over the place. And, you know, we get Tom out of that and, and the other stuff. Uh, I would have
1: liked to see more, and I wish we had it. Well, I mean, we're going to. Just to remind ourselves, we've got a Picard show that's currently being filmed right now that is supposed to hit before the end of the year.
0: Yeah, but are they to have yeah. lower decks. Are they gonna have the
1: bartender from lower decks in there? And, well, and then there's the lower Decks show that the Rick and Morty guy who ran the TNG season eight Twitter is doing. Yeah. I mean that's I'm just gonna... for that one. I'm I'm uh, I'm, I'm I'm ready, I'm ready for that, that one good. too.
0: I saw there's a Nickelodeon Star Trek show as well. Like Universal or a CBS is really opening the gates and just seeing what's gonna stick here. I think It's
1: interesting because I think they really like the property. Like CBS wants the Star Trek property to succeed. I think if I'm going to give my honest opinion, they they screwed up when they dropped um, Brian Fuller and gave it to Alex Kurtzman because Brian Fuller was was a Trekkie and he wanted to do. What are you
0: talking about exactly,
1: Picard? You you don't know the story, so. Um, when they initially were putting Discovery together, the original showrunner was Brian Fuller, who's uh he did season one of American Gods, he did pushing daisies, he's got a he's a very distinct television producer. And he's produced, I think, a lot of quality material, and he's a huge like OG Star Trek fan, like loves it, like you know, on our level. Sure. And it was like his dream job to showrun a Star Trek show. And he got booted off before discovery started. Uh, you know he put it into, through development and started uh, uh, you know pushing through some of the ideas and he did not make it to the premiere. And that's when Alex Kurtzman got brought in to be the, the the sort of the head of the new face of Star Trek. And Kurtzman, in my opinion, is a horrible hack of a writer. I mean he's written some of the worst movies I've ever seen, like The Mummy with Tom Cruise. That's him. Uh, The Amazing Spider-Man and The Amazing Spider-Man Two. You know he's just not good. And Kurtzman, in charge of Discovery, uh, I think put it on the wrong foot because it wasn't somebody who really loved Trek wasn't doing it. Um, With this new stuff that's coming out. So the cbs seems to have learned some of its lesson and Kurtzman's learned his lesson that he needs to put this in the hands of people who give a shit, and on a level that he does not and know, the picard show kind of really being in patrick stewart's hands and 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 bringing in people who really like star trek to do new star trek things might bode better for those individual uh properties because they need this to to help sell their cbs all access like this is their big ticket to yeah. giving their subscribers that's so. the
0: missing link to all this and maybe that's why the floodgates are open as you know you have a rabid fan base that's quick to wave money um at anything with a with a starfleet logo on it and if you're trying to launch this media distribution platform to compete with netflix and whatever else uh because they've had what 10 years now of streaming netflix seeing the numbers that Oh, yes, yeah. nine and next gen rack up on a regular basis, and they want that. I want to tie this into our last question. There's a few other that we'll just table for the next mess hall. But uh, coming back around to Voyager's cultural context, is this show the reason why Star Trek started to fade out of pop culture, or did pop culture leave uh, leave behind what Trek was capable of doing at the time? And I think that's a, a real strong tie into why are we seeing the Star Trek explosion now?
1: Right. And that's why I think it was a good question to consider. We talked, touched already a little bit on it. Trek was huge when Voyager started. By this time, Trek had started to. Voyager's numbers have faded significantly from its peak. Um, was this because Voyager was bad, or was this because, as the idealistic early to mid '90s started to fade, and we got into the late '90s and television? started to change significantly. Uh, was it just that Star Trek just wasn't something people were interested in? I think it's more the latter than the former. I think Voyager is is maybe as good as some of the stuff that came before, but it's, it's not terrible. Um, I don't think it's bad enough to like cut into a third uh what the viewership was previously. You know, I, I, I feel like maybe it was more also a cultural shift was at work at the time.
0: I think that we started seeing some real hard-nosed sci-fi coming down the pipe, and I think that would ultimately result in stuff like Battlestar Galactica where you're in the real nitty gritty reality of war in space. And I think that um twenty-fourth century Star Trek Berman trek did not fit what the public was looking for. And I can't speak as an authority until we get into the last season of voyage and see where we ultimately end up. But, um, you know, things come in, in cycles and people got, Oh, they had a lot of Star Trek. There were three different shows to carry them through. And, you know, maybe just the sci-fi crowds got tired of seeing people in gold, burgundy and, and blue shirts and they wanted something different. And, you know, just you got to give the fans what they want. And if they're not asking uh these things, certainly were not cheap to produce and just put it on the shelf and take it back until late 2017, 18. And, and then just
1: blast it all over the place. I certainly think it's why it's DS... back in Vogue. Yeah, I agree. Sci-Fi is back in Vogue. And I think that reasoning you just talked about is why DS9 got super popular after it was over. Like, it got very popular in that era of when Battlestar was on the come up. And I think that there's a reason for that is that it felt more like the kind of gritty science fiction that, that got popular Then it was the Trek interpretation of that. And obviously it shared a creator in that regard. So that makes that easy. And you know, it's cyclical. I think people love the Orville because it's harkening back more to that Burman era uh, utopian ideal. Yes. And nostalgia, it's, absolutely. It's the, nostalgia. The nostalgia of that, the 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 sort of hopeful feeling of it. Like people want to feel more inspired. They want to go back to that that better angels of our natures moment. And they don't want the gritty, horrible Game know, of Thrones bloodbath. And and you
0: know we're in the golden age of television now. There's I love Westworld, Game of Thrones. I mean, there's so much uh, Breaking Bad, so much good stuff out there. And it's so gritty and and there's so much loss and suffering and realism that when I have the chance to watch Orville and it's just something lighthearted and clean and quick with a good story, there's a definite appeal there. So I think if Orville would have came out, even if you cut the poop and fart humor out of it, uh, after Voyager, it would have been panned hard and shit all over. I think it just it's hitting the sweet spot at the right time for where, you know, the American audiences are at.
1: Yeah, and we've been in the golden age of television for almost 20 years. I mean, the Sopranos started that, and it's crazy to think where the medium has come since then. And what's the best science fiction television program on TV right now? Something that looks like something that was made in 1989. Uh, I think there's a,
0: in a space drama. Yeah, maybe. But again, there's so much, what is science fiction even at this point, you know, again, I'm going to go back into Westworld, which I'm a huge fan of. The sci-fi is almost penetrated every level of TV out there. I think um, at a premium, at a premium point anyways, I don't know. It's, people aren't really, the writers aren't chaining themselves to specific ideas or constraints. I think they're taking what works, what's going to sell. They're doing that. And it's, it's, it's given the, the viewers what they
1: want. And I like it. I do too. And I've liked doing this uh, live stream with you, Peter. I've enjoyed all 10. We didn't get to 20. So thank you. Spared. The
0: 10 of you that wanted to come in and didn't, I appreciate <laughs> your sacrifice. I don't know. What Joe really had planned, but I'm
1: uh, oh glad I had happened. it. I you, Stephen picked Shh. one out
0: for me. Oh, ooh. you lost. You lost. I did. I did. Man of my word. Good has triumphed, and whatever terrible thing you were gonna do has been thwarted. You ten people that didn't show up. You're the you're the real Avengers.
1: Thanos <laughs> uh, kills the night king. Anyway, so uh, on that note, thank you for joining us on Major Please miss Hall number three. Uh, if you joined us live, thank you. Uh, if you're listening to this, not live, you're fantastic. And we look forward to uh, seeing you guys again here soon. Our next episode, our next normal episode will actually be out May 16th. We're taking next week off. It's, yeah, this is my busy period at work, but uh, yeah, we're getting, we'll be done here hard too.
0: And apologies. I mean, we've worked really hard to uh, try and hit weekly airing dates. I know we've kind of fallen off the horse a little bit and uh, hopefully in the next couple of months we're going to be able to build up another cache of episode yeah. to bust out for rainy days our,
1: our, our preference is to have a buffer so that we don't run into these problems and that'll be easier for us to uh, accumulate over the summer which is an easier time for both of us and uh you know we will uh we'll be back in your ear holes on the uh, on the 16th for sure and massive thanks uh like i i mentioned this on our social media our numbers for downloads in april were double our best month previous to that um i think our audience has grown by a third in one month or we're, we're, we're about 180 listeners per episode on average we had a number of them are bumped above 200 um we've never we've never uh seen such uh growth and and uh we're really happy people have found the show and continue to enjoy it and we have our uh, thanks to Mike, you're in chat right now, so I'll thank you uh, directly. Uh, you know, he's a, Mike Nye is a, a fantastic podcaster himself in Australia. Uh, Hail and well met uh, is his podcast. It's a DD and podcast, uh, kind of a, a mix of voice acting slash real play. Uh, fantastic show. Go check it out. Uh, they've been kind and shouted us out. Uh, and so that was really awesome of them. Uh, particularly enjoyed that the shout out uh, called us warm and inviting which I never would have described this as which thanks guys uh, and uh, thank you to everyone who has shared and, and, and otherwise provided the show to others in some fashion we appreciate yeah. it we love entertaining people so the more people are listening the more exciting it is for us too
0: yeah to, to spoil are... Marvel movies and subject them to
1: all I mentioned <laughs> is that I had time travel in the game stop <laughs> just stop just stop <laughs>
0: I hope All you right. sprain your ankle, Joe. Hey, <laughs> wow, that's awful. About well, that, that note, I'm the. What the fuck? Don't make me wish the cancer fuck? on you again. Don't make me wish cancer on you again, Joe. <laughs> I I'll had be... that cut out of me. Thank you. That one. That was a warning shot, Joe.
1: <laughs> we'll see you guys again here, uh, real soon. Peace.